The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. We begin with stocks taking a bit of a one-two punch on a red-hot inflation read and rising bond yields, and more pain may be on the way. Futures are lower this morning. The Biden administration calling on Canada's government to take action to end the truck blockade connecting the two neighbors. We are live in Detroit digging in to the growing economic impact of this protest. And SoftBank's bid to take chipmaker Arm public following its failed sale to NVIDIA reportedly hitting a new hurdle in the form of a legal challenge. And shares of Zillow soaring this morning as it reveals its bid to exit the home flipping business and that business of exiting, it's going a lot better than expected. And the countdown is Super Bowl 56. It's going to be a good one. With just two days until the Rams take on the Bengals, we preview the big game and the big money going towards that matchup. It is Friday, February the 11th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, good morning. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. We got a lot to get to this morning. Here's how your money and the global markets are setting up their day. We begin with the stock futures, as we mentioned They are sharply lower this morning. We're seeing right now at this point, the Dow looks like it could be as much as 150-ish points lower when the markets open. Remember, stocks finished sharply lower on Thursday in the wake of data showing inflation had reached a four-decade high last month, 7.5%. Investors assessing whether the Fed will step up efforts to contain inflation with a more aggressive approach on interest rates. Despite the drop, the markets are still higher for the week heading into today's session. Investors are also grappling with bond yields. The 10-year note hitting 2% for the first time since all the way back in 2019. Feels like a lifetime ago. Right now, the two-year sitting at just over 2%, just a few basis points higher. We also want to get a check on the price of oil, with WTI hovering right around $90 a barrel as of late. Right now, we're seeing it still around $90 a barrel. Brent at 91, basically in the same range, both of them up over a half a percent. And of course, we got to check those cryptos. Bitcoin really taking a big hit following that inflation data. Right now, we're seeing Bitcoin down about a percent and a half. Ether even down fractionally. Bitcoin below that 43,500 mark. We're going to continue to watch that all day. Now, let's go worldwide. Our Rosanna Lockwood, she's in our London newsroom with a look at the early trade over in Europe. Good morning, Rosanna. Good morning, Frank. And yeah, we're not excessively in the red, but we're red across the continent and across the board here in Europe this morning, including actually in the UK as well, not formally part of the year anymore, of course, with the FTSE 100 down by almost a percent. I want to bring up that 7.5% figure you talked about, US CPI. Well, 7.5%, that's how much the UK grew last year. So you would think that would fuel some optimism this morning. However, we are still pretty heavy in the red, digesting a lot of economic data. And I think it's fair to say a lot of this red is to do with the handoff that you guys stateside gave us when we opened up this morning. We have actually recovered some ground, but the CAC Cajon off by nearly 1.5% there in France. We're careering towards a French presidential election. It's a basically a 1.5 off or a 1 off for basically all the bourses in Europe, the major ones to be watching anyway. And when we think about the sectors and the themes playing in, those rate-sensitive stocks uh, like tech, for example, they are weighing 
heavy this morning. No surprises there, just as you guys saw stateside as well. Technology down 1.5%. Let's see if it can make any recovery. Uh, meantime, not even banks, not even banks, financial services down still 1.5%, Frank. All right, Rosanna, thanks a lot for that look at the early trade over there in Europe. Now let's turn our attention over to this morning's other top stories, including the latest in SoftBank's ongoing saga around chipmaker Arm. The lovely and talented Bertha Coombs is here with those details. Good morning, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Frank. SoftBank's plans for an IPO for Arm have reportedly been hit by a legal fight. The Financial Times citing court filings says the head of SoftBank's China unit, Alan Wu, has launched a third case against Arm China. The FT says this is Wu's latest effort to maintain control over the business unit. It also creates a new hurdle for SoftBank's efforts to take Arm public on the Nasdaq after its planned merger with NVIDIA collapsed this week. Meantime, Comcast is reportedly finalizing a plan to drastically change its programming on Hulu. According to the Wall Street Journal, the parent company of this network and NBC Universal will no longer make some of its more high-profile shows available on Hulu soon after they air. The journal says the network will instead shift the shows to its own Peacock streaming platform. That change is expected to take effect this fall. And Uber's CEO says the ride-hailing company is not immune to ongoing inflation pressures. In a first on CNBC interview with Andrew Ross Sorkin at Uber's Investor Day, Dara Khosrowshahi laid out the mixed picture on those higher prices. We have seen significant pricing power within the platform. Now, we're marketplace, so it goes both ways, which is pricing to the consumer and also cost to our earners. Uh, the unfortunate part of the CPI data is cars are costing more, fuel is costing more. Uh, and as a result, when you look at our pricing, while our pricing has gone up on average on a year-on-year basis, gross bookings grew faster than trips, earnings for earners are actually increasing faster than gross bookings. Krusher Shahi adds that when it comes to when Uber will reach profitability, he's standing by the company's target of 2024 for that goal. And Frank, we'll hear more from Uber's CEO in that interview coming up on Squawk Box. Yeah, should be a good one. Thanks a lot, Bertha. We appreciate it. All right, let's stick with inflation. Goldman Sachs out with a new note raising its expectations for Fed action to contain higher prices to now 725 basis point rate hikes up from its previous call of just five. Saying in part, since most Fed officials who have commented have opposed a 50-point hike in March, we therefore think that the more likely path is a longer series of 25 basis point hikes instead. For more, let's bring in Mark Avalone, president of Potomac Wealth Advisors. Mark, always great to have you, especially on a day like this. Good to be here. All right, so we got to talk about the markets first. Futures down, not down as sharply as we saw the markets closed yesterday, but investors, they had a lot to digest. Obviously, in highest inflation we've seen in 40 years, 7.5%. We also have the 10-year above 2%. And then we have one Fed governor calling for even more aggressive rate hikes than anybody else, pretty much. What do you see happening today? How did the market shape up? Well, we have a lot to unpack today. I, th- that was, that's a big inflation number the market's trying to digest. It's all going to come down to this, pay- this rise in rates, the pace that we've had. It's just been massive. It wasn't long ago that we were talking about 
a 10 year less than three quarters of a percent. And now we're well over, we're, we're approaching over 2%. So this is an interest rate fear, uh, growth stock takedown that we expect will continue. Uh, rocky volatility, um, uncertain markets, they're here to stay for several months. And I think investors absolutely need to have patience in an environment like this. Rising interest rates are not a friend to stocks when they're this rapid. One point is the stock market can handle rise in rates, but usually those rate rises would be more steady. It's the rapid rise here that's of concern. It's the inflation shock value that's a concern. And until things calm down, we think stocks follow suit. Really quick, Mark, I want to correct myself. It was actually St. Louis Fed President James Bullard that called for accelerating rate hikes, a full percentage point increase by the start of July. Um, when we talk about those three inputs right there, 10-year hikes and also inflation, which one do you think has the biggest impact on the markets today? Well, it's a combination of all of them, but I think right now it's inflation. And and the Fed speak yesterday saying we need a 1%. That That's not going to happen. It's great shock value. It's a great way for him to get some press. Fed's not going to do that. I mean, your Goldman report there said they're going to stick to 25 basis points and maybe they'll do a 50. So talk like that doesn't calm things down. This inflation number comes from several it's, it's several sources. The good news is some of those will be in the rearview mirror. Congressional spending drove inflation. Uh, easy Fed policy drove inflation. Those are in the rearview mirror. Higher oil prices are driving inflation. Higher oil prices will work themselves out as more production comes online. And it's the supply shock that we're dealing with. And that will be in the rearview mirror. So if investors are patient and look through this into the second half of this year, I think we'll see that inflation, while not transitory, as Powell was saying all those months, it will it will lessen, it will subside. And that should give investors, long-term investors, more optimism. So I know you aren't pro-value or growth. You say it makes sense to have a combination of both. When we look at the the closes yesterday, I was pretty perplexed myself. You see Nike down a percent. You see Zoom down uh, about 2%. Then you see a stock like Rivian, which is one of those high-growth stocks, down fractionally. And then you see a company like Thor, the biggest RV maker in the country, down about 3%. I'm trying to figure out where do investors really see the risk? A company like Thor, for example, has very stable revenues, and it's actually grown its, its customer base, while Rivian should have been hit by that high interest rate. Well, I, I don't follow Rivian exactly, although I, I understand they have a great product and maybe there's some company specific news. I think the reason people should be in, a, in both growth and value right now is you want some dividends to counter inflation. You want core um, investments, companies that are going to benefit from a growing economy. But you also want to keep your eye. You also want to keep your eye on the growth side, because if, if our thesis is correct, and inflation does slow in the second half, and we have a slow growth economy, we're going to be looking a lot like we were in the 2009 to 2017 period, where we had a slow growth world. And in a slow growth world, investors are going to want growth. So I wouldn't abandon the growth trade right now. I think it's an important part of investors' longer-term portfolio not to pile into all these value names and all these cash flow names. I get it. Balance sheets make strong balance sheets make sense. Avoid the speculative stuff. I'm totally there. But to think that mega cap cash flowing tech is not going to work through a, a rate hike cycle or beyond in a slowing growth world, that would be a mistake for investors to abandon technology. All right, Mark Avalon, we appreciate the insight as always. Thanks. All right, when we come Good back here on Worldwide Exchange, increasing equality and opportunity in the metaverse, the steps that Facebook's parent company is taking 
to bridge the racial tech gap in its new platform. Plus, the CEO of the Dream Hotel. He's going to break down the positive signals his company is seeing when it comes to the recovery in tourism and in travel. And your exclusive weekly insider buying segment and one tech CEO quickly flipping from selling to snatching up his company's shares. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. First up is Zillow. Shares up, wow, 13% this morning. The company reporting a wider than expected fourth quarter loss. It says it lost more than $880 million on its home flipping business last year. Zillow really shocked the market back in November when it said it was shutting down that home flipping business. On the positive side, Zillow says core revenue from home listings rose 30% in 2021. Zillow CEO Rich Barton, he's going to be on Tech Check today at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. Stock 2, Affirm. It's sliding after posting bigger than expected second quarter loss. Revenue rising 77%. That beat forecast. Affirm reported results just a few hours early yesterday after it accidentally posted a tweet with some financial metrics and then later deleted it to its credit. Never said it was hacked. Shares down 9% this morning. Affirm co-founder and CEO Max Levchin will be on Tech Check today at 11 a.m. Eastern. Stock 3, it's Expedia. The travel platform posting fourth quarter results beating forecast despite the continued pressure from the pandemic and the Omicron variant. The online travel agency says gross bookings more than doubled shares up 4% this morning. All right, time now to look at equity and opportunity during this Black History Month. The metaverse is an $8 trillion opportunity, according to Morgan Stanley, and the company Meta is working to increase black engagement and spending in the metaverse by giving nearly 100 MetaQuest headsets to Ron Clark Academy. It's a predominantly black charter school in Atlanta. The teachers there say the teens are just more engaged by the immersive lessons. Meta says the effort is bridging the racial tech gap and creating potential users. We can have a diverse and inclusive metaverse without the contributions of black people, black creators, black developers. So that's why partnerships like this are so important for us. Metaverse gaming company Roblox supports a growing community of black developers, including the creator of Emergency Response Liberty City. It's a game with 300 million users who can be an officer or even a criminal. Shawnee G, that's the creator. He's the son of an officer. He created this game to be fun, but he wants it to have a real life lesson. With the current turmoil of police and to black people, but you could, at least in a game, you could be a cop who does everything right. Here's how to, you know, do stuff the right way. Here's how to carry stuff out the right way. Like, you can't just go up to a random person and arrest them. You know, they have to do something wrong. 
The Afrotech Conference, one of the biggest black tech conferences in the world, also created what co-founder Morgan DeBond believes is the very first black metaverse. She hopes this exposure will help black tech workers recognize the career and potential entrepreneurial opportunities. Very cool. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. The Rams and the Bengals gearing up to leave it all on the field on this Super Bowl Sunday. Our Jabari Young, my fellow Philly brethren, he's going to lay out what to watch besides the action on the field itself. Stay with us. Today's big number, $6.5 billion. That's how much the Super Bowl could cost employers due to lost productivity on the Monday after the game, according to data from Challenger Gray and Christmas. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Frank. Good morning. President Biden is telling any Americans still in Ukraine to leave. He made the warning during an exclusive interview with NBC's Lester Holt. The president said he would avoid sending U.S. troops to fight Russia, saying it could spark a world war. According to a U.S. military assessment, Russia could launch a full-scale invasion within 48 hours. New York City's vaccination deadline takes the stage today. Nearly 3,000 city workers risk being fired if they refuse to get their COVID-19 shot. Unvaccinated employees protested the mandate during the week. The move comes as New York State lifts its indoor mask mandate, which was put in place in December. Governor Kathy Hochul said declining COVID rates helped drop the mandate. Last night, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers was named the NFL's most valuable player for the fourth time. Rodgers threw for over 4,000 yards and helped get the Packers to a league-best 13 wins, but not enough to get them to the Super Bowl. Frank, we know that's going to the Bengals <laughs> and the Rams this Sunday at 6.30 and NBC, intertwined with all our Olympic coverage, so a whole lot to watch. A lot to watch. Just, uh, no problem staying in the house and watching this weekend. Thanks a lot, Francis. Sure thing. All right, let's stick with the Super Bowl. We're just about 61 hours away from the kickoff of Super Bowl 56 between the Cincinnati Bengals and the L.A. Rams from SoFi Stadium in Englewood, California. The excitement is really building up over the matchup and the potential record-setting number of people who may watch that game, of course, as Francis mentioned, right here on NBC. For more on that and some items on the NFL's to-do list, once that big game is over, let's bring in our friend Jabari Young, CNBC.com sports business correspondent. Good morning, Jabari. Good morning, Frank. How you doing, man? And listen, 117 million people. That is what Predict HQ, a demand intelligence agency, is predicting that people, how many will, viewership will watch the Super Bowl. And if they meet that estimation, that will be the most 
in TV history. It would be the most watched show in television history, surpassing the 2015 Super Bowl between the Patriots and the Seahawks. So, listen, if, if they get to that 117 million number, 117 million people watching the Super Bowl, you know prices are going to go up, right? And that means the NFL next year, NBC, apparently we're reported we're charging up to $7 million uh, for Super Bowl ads. And if they meet that 117 million number again, if predict HQ is right, right, you can see that that, going, that go up to $8 million. Uh, next year for the Super Bowl in 2023. You know, really interesting. First thing, thank you for wearing your outfit that you're going to wear on Valentine's Day for your date this morning. I'm glad you're trying it out here on Wax. <laughs> um, second question, why is this going to be the most watched? I mean, the L.A. Rams don't have a great following even in their own city. Cincinnati Bengals yeah. have been, you know, hapless for a while before Joe Burrow came. I would think a matchup of your Cowboys, so i got to take everything you say with a grain of salt because you're a Cowboys fan. I would think a matchup of your Cowboys and another big-name team, maybe even the Raiders, would generate those kind of big ratings. Why are these two teams generating it? Yeah, interesting point, Frank. You know, I think it's for a variety of factors. First, you know, the NFL is coming off of a very good season. You know, the viewership in the regular season was up. And then the postseason, we obviously watched that Kansas City Chiefs versus Buffalo Bills. That came in at 40-plus million, 51 the peak. And then last, uh, the NFC and AFC championship games, they're averaging about 50 million. So, you know, you have fans returning to, to the stands in 2021. We saw that throughout the year. And so you just have that more excitement because it's more of a normal Super Bowl. Last year's Super Bowl, they tried to make it as normal as possible, but it wasn't anywhere near to what this Super Bowl is. And it's back in L.A., so you have a major market, a major team in it. So, you know, you can predict. And listen, the Cincinnati Bengals is the first, second time, third time that they'll be in the Super Bowl. It might be their first time ever winning a Super Bowl title. And so you know that you have the, the excitement around that. You know, I'm thinking that the Bengals are going to win. I'm rooting for the Bengals because, again, it will be great for the NFL to see uh, the, a team win their first Super Bowl title. I think we saw mm-hmm. uh, the, when the Chiefs won, not their first Super Bowl, when the Chiefs won for a very long time back in 2020, uh, that generated a lot of good ratings as well. So I'm anticipating, I don't know if it'll be $117 million, but I, I think it's going to be a lot of people. And then, again, if they get to that $117 million people, uh, if they get to that $117 17 viewership number uh the prices again is going to go up next season all right we're going to get through two more quick things before we let you go uh first off the yeah. nfl sunday ticket that's going to be up for a bid a multi-billion dollar bid what do you expect in there well you know listen disney's come out you know the ceos come out and said that they are going to bid for the package you know i think apple they, they're going to toss their name in there i don't know if they'll be ready but don't don't forget direct tv may also keep that package but it is the last major media rights package that's up for grabs. I'm anticipating that deal to be done by the time the new season rolls around. Uh, the NFL, the owners meeting is in March. I think you'll see more discussion around that if it's not done at that point. So $2.5 billion was the number that people are throwing out, over $2 billion at least. We'll see what happens with that package. But, again, don't rule out DirecTV keeping that. Uh, you know, they, they have the rights now, and I just don't think that they want to let that go just right away. And they also got their streaming product that they rolled out as well. So they're trying to get in the game. Roger Goodell made it clear that direct-to-consumer will be uh, a part of the NFL's media strategy over this next decade. And, you know, they're going to kind of lay the foundation with this new Sunday uh, ticket package. All right, Jabbar, we really got to go. I need a quick answer on this one. Denver Broncos. Uh, yeah. Reports are they could sell for as much as $4 billion. Is that a realistic possibility? It's realistic, and, and whether they'll get it or not, it remains to be seen. We obviously know that Byron Allen is the NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell said that he wants to see a minority ownership group. $2.4 billion is the number. I even heard $5 billion out there. But whatever this is, you know, if they get to a certain number, 
the prices go up, the valuations go up for other franchises as well. So that's one of those uh, items that you, you're going to see in the offseason as well. And we'll see what happens by the time the new regular season rolls around. We'll see the new ownership group and we'll see the right. final price. All right, Jabbar, we got to leave it there. Glad you're ready for Valentine's Day. I'll catch you later. And you can catch all the coverage of Super Thanks, Bowl Frank. 56 this Sunday starting at noon Eastern on NBC, Peacock and Telemundo. It's going to be a great game. All right, as we go to break, and if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you miss Big Papa Brian Sullivan. He's actually showing up later in the show. But you can also check him out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. The inflation pain train rolling in on the markets. Futures pointing to more losses after Thursday's steep selling. Trucking turmoil as the Biden administration calls for action over the blockage connecting the U.S. and Canada as companies work to navigate the impact on their supply chains. We're live at the border with the very latest. Plus, the CEO of the Dream Hotel Group is standing by with where the company is seeing a big bounce back in its global portfolio of properties. It is Friday, February the 11th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland in for Big Papa Brian Sullivan. Here's how your money and your investments look right now as we're halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Stock futures in the red across the board. Right now, the Dow looking like it could open up about 150 points lower at the open. The S&P and the Nasdaq both down about a half a percent or more. Stocks finished sharply lower Thursday in the wake of data showing that inflation reached a four-decade high last month. Investors assessing whether the Fed will step up efforts to contain inflation with a more aggressive approach on interest rates despite the drop. The markets, well, you can see right here, they're actually still on pace to be higher for the week. Um, Investors are also grappling with rising bond yields. The 10-year note hitting 2% for the first time on Thursday since 2019. Right now, we see the 10-year sitting right at 2%. The two-year note also moving up higher as well. Big week for travel and leisure stocks. First up, we're going to look at the cruise industry. Shares of Royal Caribbean up nearly 16% this week. It's best since February of last year. You can see right here, Carnival up about 15%. Norwegian up over 10%. Next up, we got to look at the airline industry. Anybody that's been in the airport knows that traffic in the airports, it's definitely up. United up nearly 15%. Delta up nearly 9.5%. We see Southwest right here up over 6.5%. JetBlue up almost 9%. We also want to look at some other leisure activities. Six Flags and SeaWorld are both up more than 10% this week. The best week in a year for Six Flags. Live Nation also up nearly 10%. That's a concert stock. And Dave & Buster's on pace for its best three-week win streak since all the way back in October. Now turning our attention over to the very latest on that ongoing trucker protest on the U.S.-Canadian border. The Biden administration is really urging Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's government to use its federal powers to end that blockade. That pressure is coming as groups, including the Chamber of Commerce, call for a resolution in the matter saying that these disruptions are adding to the significant supply chain strains on manufacturers and other businesses across the U.S. Those protests forcing automakers, including Ford, to seek alternatives to get its auto parts over the border, including looking at actually flying those parts in. Our Christina Partsinevelis joins us now from Detroit with more on the economic impact of those protests. Good morning, Christina. Well, good morning. We're now entering day five of the Ambassador Bridge, which is just over my shoulder, being blocked by protesters. This is a crucial trade link between the United States, where I'm standing right now, and Windsor, Canada, which is just across the water. Each day you have trucks that are making thousands of trips across that bridge, carrying over $300 million worth of goods. And some are worried. Listen in. Yeah, we haul automotive, 
and uh, when the Ford and GM and all them close down, it usually affects us, so I'm expecting possible layoff. We haven't come to that point just yet, but of course, auto manufacturers are starting to feel the effects of the blockade. Take, for example, GM. They had to close two production lines just yesterday alone. That means three in total ever since the blockade started because of a parts shortage. Then you move on to, uh, you have uh, Honda Canada. They have two plants that are affected, more specifically the plant in Ontario, Canada. That makes the Civic sedan as well as the CRV midsize sedan. And then you've got Ford, the parent of Chrysler Atlantis that had to scale back production. And then you're feeling it all the way in Kentucky where Toyota Motor Manufacturing announced that several of their models may be affected more specifically. That would be the RAV4, the Camry, as well as the uh, Lexus RX. But what we're seeing with the auto industry is that in general, they like to keep inventory low, right? Because when you're not holding inventory, it's much cheaper. They engage in buying directly from producers or just-in-time supplies. But when you're not getting your goods just in time, you've got a problem. The bridge or the auto industry is very reliant on this one bridge that is behind me, highlighting, highlighting vulnerabilities in the supply chain. Frank, right now they have filed an injunction to remove the protesters. But as I stand here on the fifth day, we know that hasn't happened just yet. Yeah, absolutely, Christina. Obviously a big disruption. I used to actually live like very close to that bridge on a good day. It's a half an hour trip. And now rerouting has taken many more hours. Can, do we know what the motivation is and can we expect this protest to actually, actually cross over the border? Well, the motivation in Canada is it started with an anti-vaccine movement specifically for truck drivers, but really it's not about that. It's a larger movement and anger just about the anti-COVID restrictions. Canada has had it a lot rougher than we have in the United States in terms of restrictions. Certain areas, just like the province of Quebec, have only just reopened this past week for their bars and their gyms. So it's been a tough toll on their mental health. And then thirdly, a lot of them are using this as an anti-establishment movement as well, more specifically against the Prime Minister of Canada. Here in the United States, there are uh, the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, has warned that it could start this weekend on Super Bowl Sunday, which would be a lot of traffic in the city. Uh, according to just points that the, the trucker convoy would move across the U.S. and make its way to D.C. by early March. Yeah, a lot of news there. Uh, on a lighter note, Christina, you're actually north of Canada right now in Detroit. I know you're Canadian yourself. How does that feel? Oh, I said south of the border. I'm so used to saying that my entire life. Like, south of the border. There's our friend, south of the border. Because I'm Canadian for our audience that doesn't know. All right, but thank Christi you for correcting me, Frank. <laughs> I wasn't correcting you. I was just a fun fact. All right, Christina, thanks a lot. Really appreciate the reporting. South as, of me. As Omicron <laughs> fears are beginning to ease all across the globe, travel is starting to kick back up, which means the hospitality industry may be looking towards a stronger recovery in the near future. But New York Governor Kathy Hochul doesn't expect to see the hospitality sector bouncing back until at least 2026, at least according to the state's recent budget proposal. 30 percent of jobs in the leisure and hospitality industry have been lost, according to the state's economic outlook. But the outlook is optimistic. While 125 hotels in the city remain closed, plans for new developments, they're actually booming, with 48 new hotels set to open up just this year. Let's bring in Jay Stein, CEO of the Dream Hotel Group, with locations in New York and all across the U.S., as well as Thailand and India. Jay, thanks for being here. Great. Thanks for having me. So as we're seeing those Omicron cases begin to ease and we're inching towards normalcy, including some mask mandates being dropped, what is the outlook for travel when it comes to your hotels, at least here in the U.S.? 
you know, it's, it's got a little ways to go for sure, but uh, uh, it's exciting. Uh, you know, we saw some really dynamic uh, movement back in October and November and beginning of December until uh, Omicron started to come in. So I think we're going to pick right back up from there. You know, this is a slower time of year for the New York market anyway. Uh, as we start to come out of February into March, weather gets nicer. Uh, if we're really starting to move forward, hopefully this time for good uh, becomes an endemic. We learn how to live with it. Uh, I think uh, in the next few months, we could see a tremendous demand coming back. So obviously international travel is something that's beginning to rebound, um, at least it was before Omicron. Do you see that fully recovering sometime in 2022? And obviously those people, they come from a different country. They're looking to have a good time and maybe spend a little bit more money. So fully recovered. Yeah, I would say on the leisure side, uh, yes, that'll bounce back. It'll bounce back quickly and it'll only take uh you know, the people plan their trips much shorter than they used to in the past. So that'll come back. The, the corporate travel and the international corporate travel, uh, that's not going to bounce back as quickly. Uh, we still haven't seen that yet move to uh, reasonable levels, uh, even domestically, uh, even back in October, November. So uh, but I think it's all tied again to the, to the pandemic. Uh, companies right. weren't letting their people travel. Um, once that starts to uh, become a little more reasonable and they're not as fearful and not fearful of lawsuits, uh, companies will allow their people to get back on the road and things will get back to, uh, to normal the way they used to be. So, Jay, we're looking at some images of some of your very beautiful properties, obviously uh, very unique boutique hotels is what your group offers. How does inflation impact your business um, and especially some of the moves with the dollar? How do you balance that and, and does it impact domestic travel more or international travel more? Yeah, uh, right now, obviously, uh, we're, we're getting mainly just domestic travel, so it's impacting them. Um, you know, inflation, uh, it, it's not as significant for us. Uh, you know, a demand, to, we're, we're flexible to be able to change rates, right, as opposed to other classes of real estate. Um, once that demand starts to move back, people understand you, you're paying $19 for that hamburger that you used to pay $14 <laughs> only a year and a half ago. Uh, so for the room rates to come up from 275 to three and a quarter, uh, I think it'll be absorbed pretty quickly. So once we start getting that, that demand back in, I think we'll be able to make up for the, uh, the changes in inflation for us. All right. Jay, complete sidebar. Um, I stayed in Bangkok and I went, I went on a trip there. I wanted to stay at your hotel. There was no availability. Beautiful property. I'm hoping to stay there one day. Thanks for being here with us and best of luck with everything. All right. Coming up Thank here you. on Worldwide Exchange. I know. I saw that. Uh, your weekly exclusive look at insider buys by executives, including four brand new smaller cap names making the list. As we had to break a look at another of your big money movers, Zendesk, popping on reports that it has received takeover proposals from a group of private equity firms. The customer communications company saying it has rejected the takeover approaches and is pushing forward with its plan acquisition of the parent company of SurveyMonkey. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. All right. Welcome back. When couples keep secrets about the things they buy, their credit cards or their bank accounts, that's what's known as financial infidelity. And a new survey by CreditCards.com finds 32 percent of people in serious relationships. They're keeping some sort of financial secret. As a result, some couples are now really rethinking how they approach their finances. CNBC senior personal finance correspondent Sharon Epperson has more. 
Melissa Houston started with small indulgences. I'd buy bags and clothing and shoes and stuff for the house. Then moved on to major purchases. I need to renovate the house. We need to put a swimming pool in. As her spending increased, her family's finances spiraled into massive debt. I went off the rails and I accumulated over $100,000 worth of debt through credit. And she hid it from her husband. You racked up about $100,000 worth of credit card debt, but your husband didn't know about most of it. How were you able to keep that a secret? So because I'm the, the finance person in the family, he trusted me with doing the day-to-day you know, financial management of the household. A former accountant turned entrepreneur, she eventually confessed. Now the couple is working through this crisis together. It took him a long time to trust me again. 43% of adults admit to committing financial infidelity against their partner. Hiding financial information, financial transactions from your partner in a situation where they want to know and that keeping the information from them is harming them. Jill Hastay, author of Intimate Lies and the Law, says discovering deception is often difficult. We trust want to trust our intimates. Society tells us to trust our intimates. And it's very hard to overcome that. Yet 39% of adults avoid talking about money with their partner. Kelsey DiCarlo hesitated discussing money with her boyfriend at first. There was months of discomfort, me skirting the issue, me no longer sharing anything about money with him. When they decided to move in together, conversations about her student loan debt and his desire to buy property were more honest finally reaching the point of comfort and trust to say, I know this is something you want to do, but I'm not ready. Where do we go from here? She revealed she didn't want to co-own property yet. He bought the place on his own. It does take effort. It's not always an organic conversation. Experts say building those talks into a relationship can actually help build trust. And if you've combined finances, review bank statements and credit card bills for accounts you hold jointly, as well as joint tax returns. You want to make sure that you and your partner are on the same page, Frank. Oh, Sharon, when I first heard you were doing this story, I texted you, juicy. This is some pretty interesting stuff right here. Um, (laughs) These couples, they were willing to work everything out, but not everyone's as forgiving. What happens then? Well, you know, most couples really aren't as forgiving. A new report from Personal Capital finds that 58 percent of adults say they would end the relationship if their partner was being dishonest about money or their spending. And 29 percent said debt was a deal breaker. Now, if you want to work it out, many couples may want to get insight and advice from a professional, a therapist, a financial advisor. They may be able to initially moderate that tough discussion about money issues. And a financial advisor can also suggest some strategies to help couples pay off debt and achieve their long-term goals and work it out together. Wow. A lot to digest there, Sharon. Thank you for that great story. All right. To read more, go to CNBC.com slash invest in you. And we should note that NBC Universal and Comcast Ventures are investors in Acorns. On deck, futures suggesting more selling may be on tap to close out the week. Kate Faddis is standing by with two stock picks that she says that she's finding opportunity in. And during February, we're celebrating black history and featuring some of our CNBC Financial Advisor Council members. Here is Lizetta Braxton sharing what this time of year means to her. Black History Month means to me the opportunity to highlight and honor the contributions of black talent in the U.S. and globally. As a black financial planner, I see black history being made every day through the advancement of black households 
and living out their financial plan and living the life and legacy they deserve. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Almost every Friday here, we bring you something special, our weekly insider buying segment. And while Brian's hosting Squawk Box today, he's in just a little bit early to bring you some names, seeing some big buys. Hey, Brian. Hey, good morning, Frank. Good to see you, my friend. All right. Yeah, this is our exclusive weekly insider buying segment where we use data from Insider Score Verity Platform to find the five companies whose C-suite executives did the most buying this week. All right, so as always, let's go. We're going to count you down five to one. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. All right, stock five, OFG, not OMG, OFG Bank Corp. Small, but $161,000 buy by the chairman. By the way, though, this chairman, Insider Score says, has a great track record of insider buying. Stock number four is Ingredion, a food ingredients company, a $429,000 buy by their chief supply chain officer. This is just the third insider buy of the past decade, and it is the single largest ever at the company. This is a new name and one to watch. Stock number three is Azek, $1.3 million total buy by a couple of different insiders, including the CEO, Azek is an outdoor decking and siding company whose stock down 32% this year, so maybe buying into a little weakness. Stock number two, Leslie's. No, not Picker. This is a pool care company. A $2.49 million buy by the CEO and the CFO. By the way, first insider buy since the IPO back in the fourth quarter of 2020. And the single most insider buying this week is happening at PayPal. The CEO and others buying also $2.49 million worth of stock and literally just $4,000 more than Leslie's that gives them the top spot. The CEO is buying, and it's a big one to notice. Because of this, the CEO sold the stock in December and bought this week. And that is such a quick flip from seller to buyer that under rules, he had to disgorge some profits. Insider score Verity noting... This is very unusual, that kind of quick turn. So PayPal, seller to buyer, in less than two months, definitely a name to watch. So there you go, Frank. Lots of new names here. OFG, Ingredion, Azek, Leslie's, and PayPal. And by the way, if you've all been following this segment for a while, you know these stocks will open often, trade higher on the day, and also longer term. Not always, but they do, Frank, have a pretty good longer-term track record. So how about this random but interesting stat? Uh, 19 of the names that we've highlighted in the past 18 months are up 10% or more this year, led by Zogenics with a 62% gain in just over a month. They don't all work out, Frank, but a lot of these insiders, (laughs) they know what's going on because, you know, they're insiders. (laughs) We'll see you all in a few minutes. Brian, bring in the heat. What a great RBI. We appreciate it. We'll see you just in a few minutes. But before we get over to Squawk Box, let's get to what we call Opportunity Fridays here on Worldwide Exchange with Kate Battis, Grace Capital founder and CEO. Kate, we're going to jump right into this. Great to have you here. You want to focus on biotech, uh, the IBB biotech ETF, down more than 20 percent over the last year. But you see some opportunities in that space. I do. The first one I want to talk about is Amgen. Amgen Biotech, $25 billion in revenue, $127 billion market cap. They have their own patented drugs as well as generics, which are known as biologics. About a third of their portfolio comes from inflammation. 
Another uh, 20, 40% from, comes from oncology, 20% from general drugs. Stock is cheap, Frank, yielding 3.2%, trades at a discount to the market, PE of 21 times, price of free cash flow of 15 times. The market has been discounting the big drug companies because they're worried about revenues falling off a cliff. These are biotechs, biosimilars, much harder to copy than the normal drug that comes off patent. So this cliff, more like a bunny slope. Management, the best part has put out revenue growth targets all the way to 2030. So mid-single digits revenue growth, they're going to buy back $6 billion of stock in Q1. I think this one's a buy. All right, so you got another buy, completely, totally other end of the spectrum. Your pick is waste management. Of course, everybody has trash, but where are you seeing the opportunities at here on this stock? I see a lot of opportunities in waste management. Yes. By the way, garbage has been a great place to be in the last five years. It's beaten the market on a five-year basis. It beat the S&P last year. And in this market, this market, I want to keep it simple, food, clothing, shelter, and garbage, trash. It's down 13% year-to-date. They handle solid waste, residential, commercial, industrial. They're also a big recycler. Now, there's an ESG story. They're into renewable waste. Solid waste turns into methane. They collect it before they used to burn it off. Now, they're actually turning it into gas and putting it back into the grid. They're spending $800 million uh, into 17 landfill get, uh, sites. They already supply gas for 20% of their fleet their cars, their trucks, it's going to go to 90% over time. Right. So I like this. Trades at 29 times price of free cash flow, expected to grow 6% a year. So you're worried about inflation? Buy trash. You know, I was going to ask you about that just now. Um, how does inflation impact a company like Waste Management? I mean, we're all very price sensitive. Is an increase in price on picking up our trash something that people notice or don't notice? I don't know if they notice or not. Uh, I live in a condo, but they're getting price. They they get price 6% a year. They get a little bit of volume, and it kind of works out. So in this environment, I think uh, the price story is important. So, okay, before we let you go, I, is it okay if I put you on the spot just a tiny bit? Inflation is the big story today. Any other picks that you think can uh, not only continue to hold their price, but maybe even do better with this high inflation environment? Well, you know, it's fa fascinating that uh, Brian mentioned PayPal because we've been looking at PayPal very closely. The stock is very interesting here. It's actually legitimately cheap. That's a big thing to say about a tech company after the kind of uh, years we've had. So I I'm going to go with PayPal. PayPal is one you should look at. They generate a lot of free cash flow. They're growing. The stock, the, the price action is completely overdone. I mean, you saw what I happened, for example, with Peloton. Okay, Fattis, we appreciate the insight as always. Having a little, little Zoom delay there, but appreciate that insight, and thanks for being here with us. All right, that's going to do it for us right here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.